um, you were at the convention up until the resolutions pretty much, right? That's right. I left right before, or actually immediately after the ERLC report and I gave my question. Okay. Uh, I, I wanted to just get your lay of the land uh, for there's a lot of laymen in the church that I think are starting to wonder what in the world is going on, whether they're sitting there hearing sermons that just don't make sense to them because it's about white privilege or um, I, I've talked to a number in the North Carolina area that one guy told me, he said, I don't know why the monument issue has been preached from my pulpit for three weeks in a row or um, or talking about uh, some of these um other social justice uh, things like uh, reparations and uh, you know the, the Me Too movement and Black Lives Matter and the, these kinds of things are starting to to be said in Southern Baptist churches and so you have that and then you have those who woke up this morning and saw headlines about what was passed yesterday especially Resolution Nine and they're wondering what in the world is going on with the convention uh, you know I'm not a, a, a liberal right is in the common parlance I'm not a liberal so. I don't think anyone at my church is. What's going on in leadership? So give us the lay of the land. What's going on out there? Yeah, well, you know, on my first day there, I attended the Founders Conference Mature Manhood event, which was a great uh, pre-conference. And at the same time, there was the SBC Pastors Conference. It happens every year before the annual meeting. And, you know, if you'll see even from like the Capstone Report, they had let out some things that were being said from the floor. And I just kept hearing things about just being woke and what that means in regards to privilege and you know they're just using a lot of lingo that you hear that's uh from the liberal left and just hearing that it's just quite discouraging in the sermons right this is supposed to be a time to encourage pastors that are coming together and really it seems to be pushing guilt rather than pushing the gospel right and so uh further on from that though i attended the b21 panel the b21 panel had nate aiken danny aiken uh russ moore uh, Jen Wilkin, Albert Moeller, uh, Dehati Lewis, J.D. Greer. And for the most part, it, it seemed to be a pretty decent panel. And one thing that really troubled me about the panel, though, was just we had a great uh, panel discussion on the dangers of social justice and evangelicalism. And that was after the Founders Conference. And that was just attacked for a number of reasons. And uh one of them was they had, you know, the logo with the, with the black fist in the background. And so, but they took that down and said, okay, that's a, we, we'll, we'll take that down. That's, we think that's a problem too. Uh, so they took it down, but then they also said, it's a bunch of white guys on a panel talking about the dangers of social justice and they're putting it negatively. Why don't they just put it positively and talk about biblical <laughs> And, you know, that just seemed kind of ridiculous to me because, I mean, if someone's it is. on a cliff, you don't put that positively, like, hey, it's not good to try to fly. You know, they say, don't jump off the cliff. You know, uh, so hey, real quick, could you turn your volume up at all? Or if not, I'll try to see if I can turn you up. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, you're I'm, a little louder now. Okay. Okay. I just scooted it a little closer. Maybe that helped. Oh, <laughs> appreciate it. Yeah, so, no so yeah, you're, you were telling, uh, you were talking about the panel. Yeah. So it just seemed discouraging because there seemed to be some implied racism there, uh, especially all white male panel. How can they speak to this? You know, they don't have that ability. Right. Uh, which just seemed to be, you know, just importing some of that critical theory uh, ideas there. And so that was discouraging. But at the same time, on the same panel, while Dehati Lewis is saying that, on the other side, Albert Moeller said something great. He said, critical race theory is toxic. Now, that's interesting. that he, he said that, but he did not oppose the resolution, which it just befuddles me a little bit, confuses me. 
yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know what to say about that. I yeah. wish you know, I could pick his mind. Um, I would expect if he sees that as toxic, that maybe he would choose to speak up about it. Um, maybe he encouraged others to do it. Maybe as a seminary president, he doesn't want to be the one on the floor. He wants to hear from the messengers. Or maybe he just wasn't in the room. I don't know where he was at the time. Uh, but it would have been very encouraging to hear him as a leader step up if he really thinks it's toxic. Uh, maybe right. something will come later from it. We don't know. But um, at least we heard him say that and we got that publicly live that he thinks it's toxic. So, Yeah. Um, so so when I streamed it for just, I, I wasn't streaming the whole convention at all, but I, I would pop in and every single time I popped in, it was something that was woke, <laughs> for yeah. lack of a better word. Uh, I remember uh, one of the seminary, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, I, I t tuned in and they were going to uh, introduce um, Jamie Dew. And I guess it was one of the, uh, the the people introducing him from the board or whatever. Um, they were talking about how diverse the search committee was for their president. And he went into detail naming, we had this many of this race and this many of this race, and we had this gender. And and I was like, why? Why does that? It does with most people in the pews. This doesn't matter. No one cares. Just get a qualified group of people together, and yeah. find someone who's good at the job. But but th this is important to them. And he was even questioned on it by Dwight McKissick. Uh, I, I believe it was it was. I'm thinking of the right thing. Yeah, he was questioned on that, and and you know wanted to make sure that this was you know a good process. And and you know that's just one example in many. But it's like every time I turned it on. It was about diversity, and um, I'm like, oh my, like, where has the focus been? And and this doesn't resonate with a lot of the folks who are actually evangelical Christians, uh, mm -hmm. who by and large vote Republican, and uh, they, their concerns are not. Uh, I mean, they're 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 concerned about <laughs> bottom line things usually, you know, common man type problems, not how diverse is our neighborhood or, or the things that seem to make some of the folks at the SBC run their lives by. And that's where I was hoping you could maybe um, just give us, give us a feel. What kind of conversations are going on in the hallways? Is this really a reflection of how people, the messengers feel about, uh, about these issues? Or is this a show for us from the, the leaders of the um, denomination? I really just sense a split. I mean, I would just sit around the auditorium and you'd hear amens when they're doing talking about all the woke stuff, right? And so you'd hear people cheering it on, but it really seemed like people that were just on the ERLC side, the kind of the reform crowd that's gone woke, like those kind of groups of, of people. But then you'd also see people who were just like, okay, like, you know, and they're almost getting tired of it. And uh, even hearing people discuss uh, like just some confusion over some of the language, you know, and uh, particularly... You know, I had heard from someone when they were voting on the resolution for critical theory, like they're like, what is critical race theory? <laughs> like, what, what is this we're voting on? We don't even know what we're voting on here. So it just seems they're using a lot of this language and just importing guilt on people in the uh, crowd. And I just don't think people are going to respond well to that. And they're going to respond in confusion. Like, what are you talking about? Right. You know, why are you saying these things? And so I just I sensed a general like people pushing and cheering it on and a general like what's what's this all about? Like what, what what's going on? Okay, so there was some confusion then, and that mm -hmm. that gives us hope, I guess, in a way that not everyone's bought into this completely. Right. Yeah, uh, but certainly those who were on stage, um, yeah. they they seem to know, or at least they, that's the language that they used, hmm. uh, which is interesting. And I would say, like for instance, if we go to the undivided panel, 
that happened on the stage uh, of uh, the annual meeting. One of the one of the things about that was so, for instance, just to give an example. James Merritt came out and said that they had been partnering with the church and they're filling in pulpit supply for that. And it was like four weeks of white guys. In the fifth week, it was a black guy. And the church said, sorry, that's just not for us. We don't want, we don't want a black guy coming to speak at our church. Oh man. Yeah. And, uh, the, the problem is though, they just kind of stopped with that. Mm-hmm. And they talked about kicking churches out that are racist or push racist things. And so, my question is, why haven't we named that church? You know, right. we named churches about sexual abuse and, you know, asked for evidence from these churches. And some of them came back with evidence and they're saying we're going to disfellowship. You're going to be kicked out of the convention for it. If racism is such a big issue and we want to tackle it, I mean, I'll stand and sit there. And if I see an sure. actual racism, let's let's kill it. Let's knock it out. Yeah, yeah. But when they're saying these kind of things like about the church doing that to this this black young man, like that's horrible. So let's get this church's name and let's deal with it. Yeah, let's find out. Yeah, it, it is. You're absolutely right. And I've heard this so many times before. And, you know, I feel the same way. I'm like, okay, well, you know, maybe, but show me where, if we want to do something about it, you got to show me where, show me who. Um, yeah. I need some details here. And, uh, you know, it strikes me, I guess because I've been slandered and I'm not alone in that. I know others have been slandered for maybe having a conservative viewpoint on something. We've been called racist. Um, I, I, I never want to just jump and rush to judgment just because the word racist was used. Uh, you know, I would like to see, okay, where, uh, we, yeah, let's sure. look into this. And if it truly is racism, if they're saying, yeah, we don't want a black guy here, then that's, that's bad. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm completely in agreement. I think all of the, the social justice and the gospel statement guys are on board with that. Yeah. Um, I, we just had Tom Askell on and, and I'm sure he would be, uh, furious over over racism so um uh, i was gonna ask you another question i was slipping my mind a little bit oh danny i was gonna ask you about danny aiken so he um he was on this panel on complementarianism or or which which panel you had just talked about a panel that he was on yeah so danny aiken was on a panel uh the state of the sbc and uh it was a nine marks at nine o'clock p.m event and uh, it was it was actually a pretty good panel. Uh, had Danny Aiken, Albert Moeller, uh, Mark Dever, and then H.B. Charles. And one of the most encouraging things actually was hearing H.B. Charles. You know, he joined the convention in the in the recent years. Right. And the reason I joined this convention is because of their strong stance on biblical complementarity. And wow. I mean, that's encouraging to hear that. Hey, the SBC, we've done that. And you've probably heard before as well um, the theological triage that Moeller came up with of you know, that those things that are primary issues are first order issues and then second order and third order. Uh, first order issues being that which has to do with salvation and a, a right understanding of God and the gospel. So inerrancy, the Trinity, uh, the atonement, like those things, you have to get those right. Right. Uh, but then there's second order issues. And second order issues are views like views on complementarianism and men and women's roles, uh, church government, baptism, the Lord's Supper. So one of the things I love that he said, uh, because what they're trying to say is like, oh, we have room within the SBC mm-hmm. for different views on complementarity. That's what yeah, they're, they're very saying. proud of that now. Yeah, and they're really proud of that. But you know what Mueller said? He said the, the conservative resurgence was not just about inerrancy. It was about both first order and second order issues. And we can't compromise on that. And I yeah. thought that was a hard line in the sand saying, 
we cannot move on biblical complementarity. And, yeah, agreed. And in that same panel, I mean, just affirming so strongly those same things as well publicly. Yeah. If you can move a little farther forward or turn your, your mic up if it's possible. If it's yeah. not, that that's all right. I guess uh, those watching are going to have to boost their volumes um, on their yeah. speakers. Uh, I, you know, it was interesting. I think it was after you left, they had another panel just specifically on complementarianism, uh, in the main, uh, session. And, uh, and Danny Aiken was on that panel as well. And I thought, I just thought it was interesting because this, uh, recording of him came out last week, uh, where he's saying some things that are a little, he probably wouldn't want them, uh, getting out there, uh, in public, but they were said in a, in a classroom situation. And, uh, and, and so now he, they're putting him on these panels, and I, it, it, you know, I don't know the motives of people. I don't know if that was by design, but it was just, it was an interesting timing uh, to me. Um, it, it looks to me, it, it, this is just someone from the outside, but someone who has, you know, been at a Southern Baptist Seminary and has been following this stuff. It looks to me like there's a lot of political posturing going on, mm-hmm. and you know, those who are picked for these panels. Um, I mean, they just did a whole—the founders did a whole um, thing on biblical manhood, a whole conference. None of them are up there, though, for the complementarian panel, yeah. which is—it's it, weird. It's interesting and weird at the same time. It's like, well, if you want an expert, if you want a big tent, a truly big tent, where not everyone's just agreeing with one another, have one of those guys come up. That'll show yeah. that you're a big tent, but but it didn't happen, and, uh, you know— that's you know I don't know if you agree with this, but it seems like there's kind of a new orthodoxy in a way. There's there's um, there's certain things that we're not supposed to deviate from, and uh, as the tent gets bigger, it seems like it's also getting smaller. Uh, so so complementarianism is we we want a big tent, but we're not going to allow a seat at a table for those who are hardcore complementarians yeah. uh, as much. Now of course Moeller was on that one panel you were talking about, which I'm grateful for, um, but. Uh, but the social justice stuff is, is the same way as the critical theory. Um, it just, there's not, uh, you know, there's a lot of deference paid to those who are on the other side of this. It's kind of rushed through at the end. And, uh, and it's concerning to me. Are you, are you concerned as a messenger for the Southern Baptist Convention? Absolutely. It, the, if, even going back, if we could just go back to the, even the undivided panel and answer your question, uh, just of concern. You know, James Merritt brought that situation of the church up. You know, he's a former SBC president. And then J.D. Greer went to Dehati Lewis and said, what do you think about this? And this is revealing because the B-21 panel, he said those things negatively about the dangers of social justice and evangelicalism panel that, that Tom Buck and Josh Bice were on. And Dehati said, you know, I, he actually didn't have a problem with the racist church. He said he appreciated that the church was honest because he could meet them at the tension. And hmm. meeting them at the tension— Okay, that might be a great thing, but why aren't you not then, you know, one confronting them, but bringing people who maybe disagree with your view on racism? Like we would, or obviously against racism, but we disagree with how to handle it. Right. You know, so what he says is what he hates the most. This is what he hates the most, which is a, a sleight of hand toward us. He says, uh, I wrote this down. He hates the passive aggressive microaggressors who say that we don't <laughs> have a race problem. Then he said, this tension. Ooh. Uh, Passive aggressiveness makes things very aggressive, which he labels as, hear this, white fragility. And so Man. we have a white fragility problem, us guys who are uh, supporting the dangers on uh, social justice and evangelicalism. So he says, meet at the tension. Let's have a face-to-face, honest dialogue. But multiple years of the Southern Baptist Convention, 
they've had these undivided racial reconciliation panels. But yeah. where are the guys who disagree with their view, although they agree that racism exists? Sure. So I agree racism exists. But how about we truly meet at the tension and we have an honest dialogue in front of the convention? Why can't we do that? So we did this one panel for one year. Right. We've done this panel. They've been doing these panels for years. And all of a sudden we're racist and and we're just all white and all these bad guys and we're oh, we're fragile. But <laughs> Why can't we be on their panel too? It, it's so it's so weird to me too. It, the projection is just amazing that, you know, you're fragile. It's like pointing the finger. You're offended. <laughs> but it's like, yes. dude, do you realize you're pointing the finger at me? Like, what, who's fragile in this circumstance? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, th- this is a something that th- those who are uh, my listeners, I guess, they've been following me. They know that I have an experience uh, at Southeastern where I started noticing that there really wasn't a lot of debate uh, and they prided themselves on being a big tent. And, um, but then there was all this solidarity on social issues. Like, you know, we're, we'll have a whole uh, panel on, um, you know, what's going on with the kneelers at football games or something. And it's like, yeah, we're going to have like some solidarity. We're not going to have like an actual debate. Everyone who agrees with one another is going to be there. And I, it started being just weird to me. Cause I was like, how come everyone who agrees is kind of, more towards the left side of the spectrum, it seems like. Um, yeah. And it, it seemed like it was veering that way over time. And uh, and so this is happening now in the convention itself. I feel like I got a preview of coming attractions because now this is kind of mainstreamed. And one of the things that I took away was uh, Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary is woke. If we go by what the president was saying. Um, New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, at least based on what the trust is saying, sounds like they're kind of woke. Uh, yeah. Golden Gate, uh, the president of Golden Gate, woke. Southeastern is obviously woke. Um, Southern Seminary, now the, Al Mohler's there, uh, but the undergrad, uh, the Boys College, that's woke. Um, yeah. Like, go Southwestern now, uh, they have a new regime coming in, and uh, from what I've, I've talked to some, some folks at Southwestern, and they're starting to go that direction. And it's like, th- there's not... M- a great place to go if you want to be a pastor and get seminary training in the Southern Baptist Convention. They're on this track one way or the other. Now, maybe it's better at some places than others, but um, but this is like it, it, this is really concerning me, and it's making its way into the convention. And I don't know whether this started at academic institutions, like I observed, and made its way into the convention, or or what. Um, but I don't think, you know, maybe I'm naive, but I don't think the pews are like this. I don't think people going to Southern Baptist churches actually believe all this stuff or live their lives thinking about white fragility. Hmm. Um, that's my own rant. But <laughs> do you agree? Do you, do, you, do you sense that people in the pews are, are tracking with this or do you think this is new to them? Well, I, you know, I could say I could speak for some members uh, of our own church, but we, you know, we have a deacon who's been following this conversation and. Um, he's just shocked to hear a lot, out of a lot of the things he's hearing. He listens to Virgil Walker and uh, Daryl Harrison's Just Thinking podcast, and he's just stunned yeah. to hear the state of the convention. They're good. I brought a college student with me to the Southern Baptist Convention, and this college student who goes to a secular university here in Louisiana, he says this sounds like his sociology class. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, his professors are sitting here um, just pushing uh, white privilege and saying all these things of intersectionality. And he says he feels like he's in a sociology class at times when he, when he's watching these things at the Southern Baptist convention. So he's, he's stunned by it. Yeah. It's an interesting thing you bring up. Um, now what was your, what's your background? I know you had told me before. Yeah. 
So uh, I uh, studied at the college at Southwestern now called the L.R. Scarborough College and did a Bachelor of Arts in Humanities. So I studied the history of ideas uh, from Aristotle and Plato to now. And I have a great interest in the Enlightenment era and the you know, 19th century uh, Darwinism and Freud and uh, Nietzsche and these different guys, and especially as it relates to the 20, 20th century and now the 21st century. So that's my big focus. And then I have a Master's of Arts in Theology and a Master of Arts in Christian Apologetics. Okay. Okay. Now, interesting. Now, so um, I can relate to some of this. I am. Uh, I'm get, <laughs> someone's telling me the YouTube link's not working now. Okay. I don't know why we keep having technical difficulties. Um, I think this is all being recorded, though. So if it's not working, I will upload it. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I came from growing up in the Northeast, where it's pretty godless. I went to college up there, and all these ideas were introduced to me like ten years ago. Uh, I got a bachelor's in history, and um, and I you know I was big into apologetics. I have a curriculum I developed for my church, and I was big on you know doing college ministry on various campuses that were very far to the left. Um, we did formal debates and all sorts of things. And I mean, I love that kind of stuff. But the last thing I expected was when I went to a Southern Baptist seminary, I'd start hearing the same things, hmm. and, and I didn't at first. But then it started coming, and. Uh, 2016 uh, was really, I think, where so something happened with Trump's election, and it, it was like there was a signal, like let let's start unleashing some some leftist stuff. And some of the very ideas that have led to um, the church being marginalized and persecuted in the Northeast are now being championed by the church in the South and Midwest. Huh. And I don't know if this is being naive or or what, but. Um, you know, you have a unique perspective coming at this. I have a perspective coming from uh, where I came from, trying to do ministry in a kind of a hostile environment. And we and we hear, you know, I want to get your thought on this, but we hear a lot of the time that uh, there's the reason for this is it's all funding. There's just you know, there's Soros money and Kern Family Foundation and uh, you know wh whoever else. I'm not going to start naming everything, but there, there's money coming in and it's just influencing everyone. That's one kind of idea out there which I think there's probably some merit to some of that. Uh, there's also this idea that let's well, just postmodernism. Postmodernism is coming in and it's just changing everything. And there's probably some idea to that. I, I, I view postmodernism as an excuse to do what you want, not necessarily the underlying factor, but, that, but that's another thing that, that's coming in. Um, and, and, and there's no doubt about that, that it's making inroads. Uh, I've demonstrated that in some of the other videos I've done. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there, there's, you know, the layman is wondering, okay, where does this come from? And I, I want to just be simple, you know, talking to the layman. And, I, and this is where I've come down. And I don't know if you agree with this. I think it's good old fashioned autonomy. Like I just want to do what I want to do. Yeah. And um, and th this is kind of where this whole thing's leading. Is I don't like hierarchy. I don't like men and women, and you know, women having to be kind of like uh, they have to submit to men. Like I want to do what I want to do. Um, yeah. and, and getting rid of any kind of hierarchy and substituting, I mean, we know that this is going to be probably a government would be the only hierarchy when, when they're done, because uh, that's what's happening in liberal areas. The government just comes in and, hey, we'll be the family. We'll be everything for you. Yeah. Um, but that's what I think. It's like you know, we expect the government to be God and finance our, even our sinful pleasures uh, in, in the world, at least. And, and that's kind of their role. We get everyone else to pay for what we want to do. But that's, we're our own God. Men are lovers of self. Yep. And these are complex ideologies. 
uh, critical theory, postmodernism, liberation theology, all this stuff. And I know I'm oversimplifying, and I, I should do a whole podcast where I explain this, but 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 it's it's really at the root of this. There's a selfishness and a sinfulness and an ungratefulness and a wanting of other people's stuff, and like it's it's sin. Uh, what that was my rant. So, <laughs> what do you think? Do you think that there, that's just the bottom line for a layman who's trying to understand? Yeah, bottom line, it is radical autonomy. It's and, it, and a lot of it goes back to the garden and Satan just said to Eve, "Did God really say?" We just don't see God's word as sufficient to deal with the with the issues of race and things like that in our culture and even uh, gender roles. So we're we're trying to borrow from other things. So for instance, J.D. Greer at the panel said to George Yancey, a sociology professor from the University of North Texas, he called him his mentor on these issues of race. Oh my! Yeah. And so oh my! This is, I mean, why, why is he mentoring you on this? I mean, sure, maybe we're trying to get informed about critical race theory, if, if, if that's what he holds. So I haven't studied George Yancey all the way through, so I'm not just blanketly accusing him. But sociology professor is someone who at least has been immersed in that. So I just man, I just think it's dangerous. And if we're going to put it simply, I think of Jean-Jacques Rousseau in his social contract where he says, mm. uh, man is born free, but everywhere he is in, in chains. chains. Yeah. And so what he's done is saying, okay, all these institutions – of government and of marriage and of the family. And these things have hindered him and put him in chains. What he needs to be is in that state of nature that's childlike, that's yeah. completely free. Now, but that leads to a, a very radical autonomy. Yeah. And, and we're, we're seeing that with even just a transgender movement or a gender identity movement and even age identity. A, you know, an old man <laughs> who has a family of six saying he wants to be a six year old girl and he ends up being adopted. I by saw that. I saw that. It's, it's like this is crazy, this radical autonomy. It just goes against the way the world is. Yes. I mean, that's what the Christian worldview seeks to do. It seeks to say, hey, this is the way the world is. Now, I will say, I appreciate something George Yancey did say. He did say that we got to look at the doctrine of depravity. And I, I was like, oh, wow, he's talking about theology. And so looking at the doctrine of depravity that he said, I don't see things right all the time. And and my brothers don't see things right all the time. And we got to learn how to solve this. We got to learn how to work through this. So I'm glad they acknowledge that. Uh, but the danger is there are still bringing in these other ideologies and trying to use them as, right. as tools that are just not going to be helpful. And I think diagnosing the heart of the issue. That's what, that's why my, my life verse Hebrews 412 for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit of joints and of marrow discerning. Listen to this, the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. Amen heart and if we don't get to, to the heart with the word of god we're not going to be able to see real change in people this is all a facade outward change and that's what they're asking us to do to make an outward change uh, on things but i want someone's heart transformed amen yeah i'm, I'm completely with in agreement with you and, and you know going back to rousseau i mean we've we're before these postmodern theorists of the early 20th century this has been a march that's been going on for a long time. And, of course, postmodernism plays its part, uh, absolutely. Uh, um, you know, Heidegger is in there, and, and, and you know, I think of um, just a lot of different philosophers, you know, up through Kimberly Crenshaw-Williams. I mean, there's just, there's a whole tradition within the 20th century. But we, we can go before that. Men have been trying to free themselves from the constraints around them. Yes. and do what they want to do and uh egalitarianism uh, autonomy those are the enemies i really think that's what it is and, and i'm willing to go ahead and say this yeah this is syncretism that we're yes. we're watching we're in a transition so it's not like one 
one day the Southern Baptist Convention is, oh, they're, they're evangelical Christian, and the next day, oh, all of a sudden they're secular humanists. It doesn't work like that. It, it takes time. The modernist controversy even took time. But we are making steps, it seems like, every year and inching closer and closer. And some people in the convention, I think, I, I think they're, that's where they are. They're, they're in a secular humanistic framework. They're thinking, uh, that, that, you know, Proverbs 1 talks about the wisdom of the world and how we're supposed to uh, deal with that, right? And it yeah. says, it, basically, stay away. Uh, don't walk. Uh, don't sit. Don't stand. Um, yeah. Delight in the law of the Lord. We don't need any of that stuff, but there is an attempt right now to sit in the seat of the scornful and be instructed by them. I mean, I, I think of uh, Walter Strickland saying James Cone was a discipler. I mean, <laughs> that's how he saw himself, and that's a good thing, and we, we can learn from this. No, that's sitting in the seat of the scornful. Yeah. Uh, you know, learning about some bad system of thought in order to refute it is another thing. But yes. to, to try to plunder the Egyptians, so to speak, to take ideas that are antithetical to Scripture, that, that's what we have going on. And we have an unbiblical anthropology, I'm, I'm convinced. And uh, I so, so, so here's, here's the—and I asked this to Tom Askell just a few minutes ago. I only see three options here. This is down to brass tacks. We <laughs> leave the SBC is number one. You could leave. And I know some churches that are doing it over this. Uh, was just on the phone with someone actually yesterday who said, yep, got a big church. They're not going to be part of it. Uh, we could do this. We could element, we, we could have a new strategy. And that new strategy is let's get to the pews, which is how the conservative resurgence started. Bring your friends and let's just get to the convention and completely vote the bums out, so to speak, right? Uh, now, that would take, you know, this is what Judd Saul at Enemies Within the Church, that, that film uh, is trying to do is to, like, get even around the pulpits, get to the living room so people can watch and be apprised of, as to what's going on. But I, that's the only person I know that's doing something. And there's probably more that I don't know about. But so that that's the second thing you could do. Try to a new strategy here. Uh, the third strategy, and this isn't even a strategy, it's just like go along to get along, kind of wait it out. And, uh, you know, maybe hope that things will, you know, God's in control. So things hopefully will turn around and then Benedict option, I guess, for the SBC, you know, come out of your hole when uh, everything seems. So, so where are you on this uh, or have you thought about it? Well, man, Travis. Um, yeah, I'm tempted to just say, let's, let's, let's flee. Let's run from this and just start our own thing or just not be a part of a convention. But, you know, I just think of the benefits of the cooperative program uh, toward myself as a, you know, three-time graduate of a seminary and um, growing up in a Southern Baptist church, uh, I would be just saddened to see all that go away um, mm. because I think there's so much potential. You know, I've, I've done missions. I've, I've met and been with IMB missionaries on the field and just seeing all that God is doing. And, yeah. and it's so encouraging. You know, there's real great gospel ministry happening and lives being changed. And I just want to be a part of that. I want to cooperate with other brothers and sisters. And I just really think some of these people just don't know what's going on. They don't know um, the dangers around them. So I ask someone, what's social justice? And they say, oh, it's helping the poor and the widow. <laughs> that's not yeah. social justice. I'm glad you think that we need to do that because that's what Scripture says, but that's not social justice. So it's just very clear to me that we don't actually think about these things very thoroughly. It sounds good. You know, so you, it, you like option two. <laughs> I'm, I'm an option two guy. That's right, option All two. Right. I, wanna, you know, I went to Southwestern. I had some time getting to work with Dr. Patterson. And I know a lot of, you know, things have happened to him pretty negatively from last year. And it's, it's sad to see that. I care for the man. 
but you know, I, I was able to ask him questions about the conservative resurgence as I worked for him. And it was amazing seeing things like John R. Rice and his sword of the Lord that would go out to pastors. It'd be on every single SBC pastor's desk in that time and just talking about the word of God and and know to inform people on issues happening within the SBC. And I think in our in our modern day with all this technology, we have such a, a great avenue and, and a medium of communication to inform pastors. And so I think this this movie by Judd Saul coming up is going to be phenomenal. And I think everyone needs to watch this. Every family needs to watch this. We just yeah. need to inform people on this. Actually, it was really funny. I was one time doing some research and I found a DVD of a movie on inerrancy from the seventies. It was, it was, you know, hilarious acting was horrible, but it was, you know, it was acting something out and, it, but it really, it still communicated the issues. And I think pretty yeah. well for the time. Uh, and so I think we need to do the same. I think we need to be creating podcasts, videos, movies, writing articles, and we need to be all working together to sharpen each other. Cause I think yeah. that some people could probably be convinced even some who are like, even like JD Greer, I think he could be convinced out of it. If he's shown it, I don't think he's an illogical guy. I think he's a compassionate person and his compassion is misplaced because mm-hmm. you know, he, he's compromising on truth and he doesn't realize it. Well, I, I mean, won't, I won't ask you whether he should be a president or a pastor, uh, but yeah. I, I'll spare you that question. But, uh, <laughs> but it, you know, you get to a, a certain level, um, where you're a pastor or, or a leader of some kind in a Christian ministry. And you would hope that just basic hermeneutics would kick in and you would see these things. And that's, I think one of the concerning things is, okay, you know, if we're going to sp- expend energy, and I'm not saying not to do this, to, but if we're going to expend energy trying to convince the guys who already have leadership, I, I don't know. They've had opportunity. There's been years of study that they've hopefully put in. They're supposed to um, to understand this. Um, you know, or would it be better to spend time trying to t- defeat uh, the evil? Well, I'm I, I'm saying evil, but the, the whether you want to say flawed or evil ideas that are emanating from these guys. Because um, I don't believe in disembodied error. I mean, error always has someone with you know who's actually forwarding it. So um, in this case, Greer, you know, even if he's confused, he's doing some damage. Um, Russell Moore, I know uh, <laughs> Tom Askell wasn't willing to give that grace to kind of. Just no, there, there's there's nefarious uh, purpose of some kind here with not willing to ask. Actually, it was your question, weren't you the one that asked that question to Russell yeah, Moore? Uh, yeah, he dodged it pretty well. What was the real quick for everyone? What question did you ask Russell Moore that he dodged? Yeah, I'll, I'll pull it up right here. So the question I asked on the floor, it was this. It, it was Doctor Moore. In a 2007 podcast with Nine Marks, you were asked whether women underneath the authority of a pastor could teach or preach to men. You said, if the Apostle Paul wanted to say that, he would have said it. Everybody in the churches remain under the authority of the pastor. It doesn't mean now you have the authority to sin, to go against the creational order. It would be very much akin to a woman saying, I'm going to commit adultery under the headship of my husband. I have my husband's permission to commit adultery. Nor does it allow a woman to do what is forbidden in scripture, which is to teach and exercise authority over a man, end quote. And so I go on to ask, is this still your position on women preaching in the church? Well, he goes on to say that he takes a stand for biblical complementarity and that men and women have equal value and roles in in the church. Like so that each of them have ministry they can do in the church. And then he goes on to make a, a comparison about the Lord's Supper. And saying, well, I know my church, I believe in practicing it every Sunday, but my church practices it once a month. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, why is he talking about the Lord's Supper? 
even even my college student next to me was like, what's he doing? He's not answering your question. And I'm like, well, I know. And then he ends on how every boy and girl needs a father and mother. And all I wanted to know was, does he agree with his own statement from 2007? But he tries to make a, a funny comment or, and he says, well, I don't know if 2019 Russ Moore would agree with 2007 <laughs> Russ Moore. And then he goes, yeah, and I'll probably be, you know, getting back at what I said in 2019 with 2029 Russ Moore. And oh boy, I don't want to think about 2029 <laughs> Russell Moore. I don't want to either. He's probably going to be pushing for a transgender pastor maybe or something. Like that. <laughs> Hopefully not. I hope not. But, um, you know, I just say that tongue in cheek. But, you know, when it, when it comes down to it, uh, I, I think there, there is a possibility to convince, but we just have to be able to be given the opportunity. And they're just thinking we're fragile. They're just thinking we um, really don't love or feel compassion. So I just think in approaching this issue and going for option number two that you mentioned, right? I think we need to be like Christ and speak with grace and speak with truth. So for instance, um, I commended some, some people for coming to the dangers on social justice and evangelicalism. There were three people there that were woke. Oh, okay. Dwight was there. He sat in and listened and he was amening some things that the guys were saying. I was mm -hmm. like, well, thank you for, you know, that, that just shows a positivity and a, a brotherliness there. Um, you know, although I, I disagree with Dwight on a ton of stuff and I think right. he's dangerous, but I appreciate that to see that from the other side. Um, and, uh, uh, Walter Strickland, he was there for the, for the panel and Garrett Kell. And so the fact that they showed up, that means something to me, you sure. know, uh, that, that there, there's some listening, at least they're willing to do. Uh, yeah. Maybe it's been better to stage a debate with these guys. Maybe that's what we can do next year. Let's let's bring some of these guys up and have a debate about what this stuff means. Mm -hmm. If they're if they're willing to do that, that that would be great. I'm I'm kind of an all of the above uh, approach. As long as you're going in the right direction, then yeah, absolutely. Hold these conferences. Uh, try to to do something good uh, to convince those uh, who have the, the the power in the denomination. Um, I'm going to go ahead and say this though. We, we need to wrestle with what Scripture says about confrontation and sin. We have Matthew 18, obviously, but I, I'm thinking of Galatians 2.11. When uh, Cephas came to Antioch, Paul says, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. And you know, this is someone who's obviously an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, in a position that is more, um, shall we say, prominent than even Al Mohler um, and was deceived. And it's and I know I just said, yeah, if you go to seminary, you should, this stuff should be a no-brainer, and it should, but okay, even an apostle can be deceived. When an apostle is deceived and uh, is buying into, in this case, a heresy, then you oppose him to his face. You name names, you know, uh, you're direct. And, and this is what I, I would like to see, and, and, and I'm not accusing anyone of anything. I don't know what kind of conversations have taken place exactly, but this is the kind of thing that I think needs to happen with an Al Mohler who um, is, I know you said he said some good things, and, and I'm grateful for that, but who's also not standing up when we, could, we really need him, you know, for this yeah. Re Resolution 9. Um, you know, Al, what are you doing? Like, I'm not afraid to say that. Uh, yeah. And then some of the, the other operators who are more obvious, like a Russell Moore um, or, or maybe a Greer. Someone might put a Greer in, in this category. But, um, you know, there needs to be a confrontation. There needs to be a, a, a sense of, of what Paul says in Ephesians, exposing the deeds of darkness. Um, 
and uh, taking thought, every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Uh, I'd really like to see more of this being done. Yeah. And and I and I hope uh, that will happen. I hope that um, you know we're just seeing the beginning, and this is a wake up call. What happened yesterday to those who have not maybe been paying attention that we have a problem, uh, and, and we need to do something about it. And uh, and so um, yeah, uh, support the enemies within the church. Film. I mean, that's the the one project I know that's trying to get into the pews. Um, you have any other closing thoughts, uh, Travis, of things that we can do? Yeah, you know, I think we just need to we need to study the word and know know the word well. I think of Second Timothy uh, and Paul's charge to Timothy to preach the word, and even he's helping him to say, "Hey, don't be ashamed of the gospel and the power of the gospel." Uh, in in that letter, Amen. And he talks about false teachers in, in that letter and how to how to handle them and oppose them. You need to learn to rightly divide the word of truth. So I think obviously going to the inerrant, all sufficient word of God and starting there. But then also we need to understand what's happening in the world. We need to be, I think people need to be reading up on CRT. And I think those who of us who really like to wrestle with these things intellectually learn, need to learn how to use our platforms to better explain and define these things and give examples. And mm-hmm. uh, just even talking with my college students as they're in, you know, places like LSU or Southeastern Louisiana University, you know, and they're engaging with these kind of professors who are pushing uh, pretty much woke theology, but from a you know secular perspective, you know, just having these conversations with them and seeking to challenge them uh, to stand up for the truth of the gospel yeah. in their classroom. Amen. And so that's, you know, just starting with discipleship. I mean, it is an issue of discipleship. And I think if we just do that in our pews through all those different means, we could effectively reach others uh, for Christ and even help people turn away from this. I think of Paul in Colossians. He's confronting uh, a syncretistic heresy. You don't know exactly what it is. It looks like it has some Gnosticism to it and maybe some of what the Galatian heresy was yep. mixed in. And, you know, I'm not willing to say that the, you know, maybe Russ Moore, but some of the other leaders are um, cultural Marxist. I think what they've done is, because I, I know these guys, I've read them early on, they believe the gospel. But what they've done is they've allowed themselves to become syncretized with these things. Right. And this organization is poisoning their theology. Yeah, uh, and so yeah. To point these things out like Paul did, and we need to show the sufficiency and the greatness of Christ. And if we really want a gospel above all, like it was just so proclaimed to the SBC, yep. we need to put Christ, as it says in Colossians one, you know, in our minds where He belongs. If not, Amen. we're gonna we might be counted amongst those who are bowing the knee uh, in a, in a negative way uh, regarding our stance with Christ when He says that every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord in heaven, on earth, and under the earth to the glory of God the Father. So yeah. I just Amen. my plea is. We need to preach the gospel and, and reach the world best we can. Well, Travis, I, I took option one. I, I actually did leave the SBC a, a little while ago, but I really respect those who are taking option two, and I will assist in any way I possibly can to get to the pews and uh, notify people. So thank you for what you're doing. Uh, is there like a place people can find you? Do you have a blog or anything you want to plug? Yeah, so um, travismcneely.wordpress.com is uh, where I... Uh, occasionally blog uh sometimes i get in a spurt and just have some things going so i have a lot of things in drafts and things i'm working on but you know i'm, I'm busy as a student and college minister as well working from junior high all the way through college students and so that's quite fun especially summers they're quite busy but yeah. um and I, I i'm reading constantly and uh really trying to write and hone in on writing and hopefully i'll see more of that in the future for myself and as i'm even thinking possibly about doing phd work here in the future just got to find where that you know that'd be good for me but yeah, uh, I uh, there and then Twitter at Travis McNeely and then my Facebook's William Travis McNeely. 
All right. Well, sounds good. Thank you, Travis. God bless. Enjoy the rest of your day. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.